Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing, and this is Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts across the country about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Joining me today, Jacqueline Foster. Jacqueline is a former paralegal who now runs a company where she connects law firm owners with the right staffing strategy for them. Obviously, staffing is an incredible burden for solo and small firm uh, owners. They're at the mercy of the job market that surrounds them each and every day in which they're finding, managing, and trying to retain quality staff. Imagine having the ability to control that expensive potential pain point within your business while still receiving the incredible outcomes that, re that result in having a high qu highly qualified team behind you. So that's what Jacqueline helps with. Uh, they her company offers recruiting services to solo attorneys and small firm. Sorry, I this is too small for me. I'm going blind slowly but surely. Uh, and small firm and small law firms nationwide. Her process implements business consulting and strategy right from the start to identify the most innovative, resourceful, and affordable staffing structure for your firm. Uh, bring in top-level paralegals on a 1099 or W-2 basis with zero upfront costs, giving you the ability to have a highly capable and brilliant team so you can focus on what increases the profitability of your practice. And if you're listening to this and that doesn't sound like something you need, I take my hat off to you. Congratulations, because I think that is something near and dear to all of our hearts, especially at this time. I've heard from more firms than ever having difficulty finding and keeping the right people. So I think this is a great time for you to be on. And thank you for joining us. Absolutely. So happy to be here. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah, of course. Did I leave anything out about the bio? Nope. Sounds great. All right. So while we're doing that, Breezy is going to put in all the links to Jacqueline's um, personal social media she gave us, as well as the company itself. While we're doing that, I'm going to talk about our last episode that aired last Thursday. Uh, defining your success in law and how to stay successful. That was a wonderful chat with Guy Sakalakis and I, uh, mostly wonderful because of Guy's uh, involvement. And if you really are looking for a number of books to read, I think Guy and I went through about a dozen of them that should uh, become new quivers in your arsenal, your personal library, whatever you want to call it. But enough about that. Today, we're going to talk about legal staffing strategy, an innovative approach for profitability and growth. Thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. So when it comes to you helping law firm owners with legal staffing strategy, are we talking just paralegal legal assistants? Are we also talking intake coordinators, marketing interns? Like what's the, what's the with here? Well, it's mainly the main focus is on that senior level paralegal. That was the bread and butter of my business when I started it is finding that gap of needing that high, high senior level paralegal support. Um, through that, of course, like any business, new gaps are coming up. You start seeing, you know, clients needing, well, I need, you know, just a little supplemental help in the CRM, you know, client relationship management, or I need help with just admin work. So really what it was with my business is creating the most innovative solution to handle every element of a law firm staffing. So solo law firms primarily, and to make sure that we're not solving every single staffing issue with the same solution. So creating those pockets of, you know, we need five hours supplemental here in this zone of genius, and we need five hours of supplemental here in this zone of genius. So making sure we're creating this very, um, like, like I said, this innovative staffing approach to each law firm based upon their structure, where they're at in their growth, where they're at in their clients, and where they're at in their marketing efforts. 
Yeah, I had a, um, you know, I, I get pitched all the time and somebody, one of the companies pitched me something like, oh, you know, if we have an attorney come over with a book of business and we get X percent, whatever. And I responded to them. I was like, hey, even if I was interested, wouldn't this be fee sharing with a non-lawyer in violation of like the Florida bar rules? And they were like, we don't know. I was like, okay, cool. Thanks. <laughs> so I just, I love the concept that you're really designing what makes the most sense for each firm. And obviously with the zero upfront cost, um, another added benefit, but it just, it's amazing to me how not one size fits all so much of this is, but it's easier from the business perspective to make it one size fits all, but not as helpful for the law firm. Absolutely. So. And we do that right from the beginning, actually. I mean, you look at the, the, the approach of looking at the numbers with law firms. So you look at the you know, how much are you actually going to be paying your paralegal? What's your market? Because if people say, well, in California, the market's $80,000 a year for a senior level paralegal, you're not really speaking to the market out in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, that might have a more of a market like 45,000. So it's really, like you said, not one size fits all approaching the staffing and which makes the most sense financially, strategically, what they can do, you know, what is their firm like? Do they have a lot of in-person meetings? Are they fully virtual? What does their firm look like? And what staffing structure is going to be the best suited for that, that firm? And it's so much of that story is near and dear to your heart because originally that's how you started in the legal space, right? As a paralegal. Yep. So I was a paralegal. I primarily focused on solo attorneys. Um, I was originally from a very, very tight knit community up in Northern Minnesota. I ended up moving to Wisconsin and even more, I didn't think that I could get more remote than I was up in Minnesota, but I definitely, definitely did. <laughs> We're the closest law firms about 30 minutes from me. And we have a lot of transactional attorneys here. We try to stay away from big litigation, things like that is just kind of the theme of this, this industry in where I live now. And going from even that firm up in northern Minnesota to the one in Wisconsin, I quickly realized, I mean, there was a part of me that said, I need to get back into firm, I need to be taking on these heavy, heavy litigated cases and, and doing what I'm passionate about as a paralegal and managing firms that way. So there was a little bit of selfishness when I started my own business and wanting to continue to access that type of paralegal work. But it also was a moment of connect the dots. Wow. Could all of my firms that I've ever come across, ever worked for really have leveraged this type of business model in supplementing their staff or strategizing their staff and not feeling like they're always shoved in a corner behind the market, behind the, how much is it going to cost behind the ebb and flows of their practice? Um, you know, the pandemic <laughs> is another big one that, you know, it's kind of starting to people don't want to hear about anymore, but it's very much a, a big eye opener to, firms being in that corner of needing needing that support in order to grow, in order to flourish, in order to scale, but don't have access to it. And even if they did, can't afford it at the given moment. And so obviously, I mean, you know, you're talking about really being able to plug a lot of those staffing holes, but you keep coming back to this concept of that senior paralegal. And I just want to make sure we're all on the same page as we continue on. So give me a little bit more of the, I don't want to say definition, because that sounds so academic, but like, Explain to me more what we're talking about when we talk about that senior level paralegal. Absolutely. And I love talking about this as an advocate for my field, as an advocate for paralegals. Really, we have to look at even the ABA has finally distincted the, took the distinction of a paralegal and did not make it synonymous with the legal assistant anymore. So the paralegal 
in our space. What paralegals actually believe they are, senior level especially, is more like seven years plus experience. But people that have been focused on the paralegal work really can handle that level of work that you would expect, you wouldn't even expect from a baby brand new associate attorney coming fresh out of uh, law school. They know how to legal research, they can draft briefs, they can draft complex motions, they can, they can manage the heart of a case from start to finish, of course, under the supervision of a licensed attorney, but they can really take lead on a case and, and manage that case all the way through. That's a paralegal. Now, the reason why I think paralegals and legal assistants have been bunched together, truthfully, is because of the law firm's access and ability to afford that type of professional, that paralegal, that they end up finding somebody that's a paralegal, but is also going to do that admin work so they can pay them a little bit less, which isn't bad. I'm not saying they're doing that maliciously and trying to, you know, whittle down what that paralegal is worth. It's just the reality of a lot of small law firms is they need these, these employees to wear so many different hats that, okay, you're a legal assistant, but you can also do your, maybe more, you're just a rock star legal assistant. You're not a paralegal because we're not categorizing you as that because we can't pay you to that level, but you do that, that high level work, but you're also taking on the admin work and small firms, especially in these remote areas or not even remote, but small firms competing with really big firms in big cities and their budget and their access and what benefits they can offer. They've kind of created that paralegal legal assistant more so than ever to be synonymously used as the same term. But when we really identify what a paralegal can do for a law firm and take away that admin work and really focus on how that paralegal can support that lawyer in their cases, that's where we get excited about the paralegal and their role in the firm. So now you add on another seven years, that's a senior level paralegal. And why I focus so much on the senior level paralegal is because when they get to that stage, they can manage cases with very little guidance and very little do this next, do that next. Make sure you're docketing a 30 day deadline for a discovery. They just know how to do all that. They can manage your firm while you're focusing on what lawyers need to be focusing on. And then they can benefit from that, being able to take on more work, freeing up their time because lawyers become that bottleneck. Okay, so lawyers are strict, um, continuously becoming the bottleneck in law firms because they're the only one there that can do that heavy level of legal work. So when you bring in a, a senior level paralegal, seven plus years, very focused in their practice area, they can take that work off of the lawyer, which then frees them up to continue to grow their practice. It's not enough to say, I'm gonna bring in a legal assistant that can only handle very basic petition drafting, very basic creating shells. I need to bring in somebody that's actually going to take away my involvement and my constant need to be over the top of every single case. Otherwise, how are they gonna free up to, to grow their practice? So I just wanna put as uh, fine a point as we can on it, when, so you're talking about the difference between the paralegal and the legal assistant. I mean, you've talked about, obviously, the, I guess, legal knowledge, or at least the, the legal ability being there. And then you also talked about the legal assistant doing more administrative tasks. Mm -hmm. um, am I correct in what I just said? Correct. Yep. Okay. So I think from the higher end standpoint, I think that's pretty obvious what we're talking about. Like if you can, you know, if you're going to give that motion to them, and obviously they can't argue it, but they can write it, you know. 95% what you're looking for with small tweaks, that's more of a paralegal type thing. But on the flip side, when you talk about those administrative tasks from a legal assistant, what, do we, what are some examples of what we're talking about there? 
So where I believe, and this is my belief system around it from managing firms and being a paralegal and wearing all the hats, where I believe a legal assistant specifically can truly come in is to support that paralegal's work. So if they're managing discovery, they're that paralegal, this is the best way to put it, that paralegal is looking for potential issues within the, the discovery while the legal assistant is working on gathering the documents for that paralegal to review then the pair the legal assistant is going and they're doing exhibit a exhibit b they're they're handling all that prep work that that paperwork that doesn't require them triggering a per certain part of their brain to do legal work it's that admin work they can also be helping with basic scheduling intake calls um filing basic petition drafting, even if they're a more advanced legal assistant, they can get the, the motion shells set up. Those little things that take so much time <laughs> away from the paralegal or the lawyer, the setup work, et cetera. So they're really the very basic supportive role to then the paralegal and the paralegal is the supportive role to the lawyer. So it's really keeping everybody in their zone of genius and the workflow going up always. So, sorry, I just sent Breezy a message because you had one. I love that you gave us a little shout out on the show there with the Exhibit A. But, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's why we called it Exhibit A for that exact purpose. Makes so, sense. what's the, I, I guess, let me take a step back here from newer lawyer getting to that point where they're ready to bring on staff. Twofold question. One, what is the benefit? Like, when are they at the point where they need to bring on staff? And then, two, What's the point where is it bringing on a legal assistant first, a paralegal? Like, what's your advice, suggestion, tips, insight there? So my belief is that we're always ready to bring on staff to some capacity, and which is why I created the business that I created, because I wanted to make it not so overfacing for law firms to bring in help. I think that some businesses grow way too fast for what they can sustain, and they don't quite have the the financial resources, the backlog of positive cash flow, things there to know that they can confidently bring on a full-time employee, they can confidently bring on a part-time employee even, and know that they have that salary covered even in the event that it flows back down and we don't have any new leads coming in, we have no new retainers being signed, et cetera. So it's really the concept that we're always ready to bring off on staff in some form of another, as long as we're approaching it in a place that makes sense. So. <clears throat> For instance, great example, there's a law firm, they've recently gone solo, maybe the first year or first six months, they've just been working on setting up their business, getting new clients in the door, word of mouth referrals. Now they've hired a marketing team and they say, I really need to ramp up that marketing and get more qualified leads and get higher valued cases in etc. But once they do that and they say, once I get all those great cases, then my legal team's going to come in. Then I'm going to start hiring. Once I get all that in, then I'm going to start hiring. They that Those cases have to show their profits before I can hire somebody to, to support me. What happens then is they get all these great cases. They're not, they don't have a staff behind them. They don't have anybody with skill behind them even. Maybe they've hired somebody fresh out of college. Maybe they've hired somebody that has no legal background at all, just depending. And they don't have anybody that can really support them. Then what happens is the lawyer... The ha that has to take on all that work. And I've heard this numerous times from marketing experts. They say they get told all the time, shut off my marketing. I can't handle all this work anymore because it's working now. I'm getting new leads and I'm getting new clients in. But now I'm the only one as the lawyer that has to sit down and do all this work. So let's shut it off for a minute. And then once 
we can get all this work done. Let's turn it back on. And they keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So with the idea of getting the contracted space in and getting that 1099 work in is that you can incrementally staff your firm based upon the need and based upon the work demand. So if you have you're starting to get traction and right away you can hire a five hour a week paralegal. You can hire a five hour a week legal admin. Then as things continue to grow because you're not shutting off that marketing, you're letting it continue to develop, then you can bump that up to 10 hours Then you can bump it up to 20. And my clients and I always sit down at least quarterly, if not more frequently to really assess if the 1099 route is still appropriate or is their firm grown enough with the support they've had to now let's bring in a W2, let's keep that contractor at the five hours per week as supplemental help. We really work together on figuring out what's the right structure, but the idea is that you're always ready to hire help in some form or another. We can always use help. And there's to me, there's no such thing really as a solopreneur. We always need help in some way to bring our businesses up, to grow them, to develop them. So if we continue to just work and tap into the resources that we have incrementally as we grow, we'll never slow down that growth phase because we're always sustaining that growth as it comes. Let's be honest. There are totally real things as, as solopreneurs. They're masochists who just enjoy their own pain. No, um, but no, right. to go back to what you said, I'm going to echo as, as a, as a marketing, I don't know, as, as the face of a marketing company, you are totally correct. You know, I tell everybody, you imagine, imagine leads as water coming out of a fire hose and you don't have a bucket and you know, the bucket is your staff, the bucket is your fulfillment. So what's the point of just getting drowned in this water when you can't get it where it needs to be? So I'm right there with you. And I love the concept of, because of the. The way that you have it set up, there's less risk on them. You know, it's five hours. It's not bringing on a full-time employee. I know everybody regrets the having to terminate an employee because work has slowed down or whatnot. And so this might be an easier way for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. That's the biggest thing is we handle that ebb and flow. The contractors can handle that ebb and flow. And I get asked all the time, you know, because I'm such so big in the 1099 virtual space. I merged into it as a paralegal. I went from living in the middle of Wisconsin mm -hmm. to being able to serve Texas Supreme Court candidate. I worked as a paralegal for a big, huge nation firm out of Chicago. I worked for firms in Georgia. I My paralegal career was able to go all over the place and, and those firms were very much benefiting from what I was able to do for them. So yes, I am an advocate for virtual work. I think it is such a great thing to have in every single business, but I'm not naive to the fact that we do need boots on the ground. We need people in the office to help manage the clients coming in, manage the day-to-day -day phone ringing. If you're not using a you know ring sent, um, outside, outsourced answering service of any nature, <clears throat> I'm very aware of that. And so that's why when my clients come to me, I don't continuously tell them, keep hiring virtual, keep hiring virtual, like I said. Every single month, every single quarter, we should be evaluating. I have this huge spreadsheet that I use to keep playing with numbers with them. Every time we sit down, let's look at the numbers. Does this still financially make sense? Has your firm grown so much that it's okay, it's time. Let's hire that W-2. You should be confident. I mean, look how busy you're keeping my virtual paralegal for the last six months. I think it's time to bring in somebody real. So, but that being said, I've found that my clients that have realize this solution to your point never really go away from it because they know it's a safeguard if i you know the ebb and flow if it flow if it ebbs whichever way that is if it goes back down if i start losing clients again i can slow down my 1099 i can adjust my relationship with them and be in control of that 
without completely losing all of my help and having to suffer my business, having to suffer because of it. They can fluctuate it. They can, they can manipulate it to always work for them. Ebb is less, flow is more. I've had to look that up like a hundred times. Um, but, and yeah, and it's so true because like, I can't imagine, it, it, let's say you have a hundred people working in your firm as W2s. There's still going to be weeks where we only need 85 of them. And there's going to be other weeks we need 120. So like there really is no number for you to, to find where there isn't the benefit of, you know, a, a couple extra hands here and there on a case by case basis, week by week, you know, whatever it's going to be. So I just, I love that concept. Right. Absolutely. I mean, anybody that's ever worked in a firm knows that that's no matter how successful you are, there's still going to be that fluctuation of workload. So before, before or at the beginning of this relationship, so bringing on staff, whether they're 1099s, whether they're W2s, what are some things that the law firm has to have in place? They have to have case management systems in the, in the cloud or at least on VPN of some sort. So, and that shouldn't discourage anybody from trying this. If they say, no, I'm still on the desktop. I'm still behind on the times and, you know, not really running a case management. One of the benefits of going virtual is that that relationship will expose holes in your system. So whether you already have a case management system, whether you are already in the cloud, they're going to find that relationship is going to make it very clear to you as the delegator, as the manager, as to where you can improve your processes and your system. So one thing that we do right away before we get that paralegal on board is if they don't feel confident in their systems, we're consulting and we're getting their system set up prior. So we're making sure, okay, you know, if you're used to task delegating by walking by your assistant's office and telling them what to do, that's not going to work anymore. And it shouldn't work anyway. That's not an efficient way to run a law firm is just by talking constantly and, and things getting lost in each other's brains. And, oh yeah, I forgot I needed to do that task. We have to have a task management system in place. We have to have a case management system in place, naming conventions on your filing to make documents very easy to locate and access. Systems like that not only improve the virtual relationship, of course, it's going to improve your overall efficiency within your law firm. And we all know inefficiencies cost time, which costs money. And if we can continue to narrow down on those efficiencies, it's going to help, of course, the virtual relationship, but also your, your in-house set, set up. Yeah, I mean, at this point, what are we, we're going on over 15 months of COVID. If you are not on cloud-based systems, like I'm almost impressed by any firm that has been able to, I don't want to say avoid it because it's a good thing, but like, I'm just, I don't know. I, I would be dumbfounded by anybody who is not cloud-based after what we've been through the last, you know, year and change. Absolutely. I've worked through VPNs and I've worked in the cloud and cloud is definitely the way to go. And then I've, I've had clients that have come to me. I had one out in New York that came to me and said, everything is still on my desktop. So we worked on getting all of her systems in the cloud. Cause she's like, you know, it doesn't really work well for me when I go on vacation and something urgent, I have to review comes up and I can't get into anything. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's get you going. If anything, if we never work together again, let's, let's get you in the cloud. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when I was a uh, state attorney, we were going we were going paperless for, I don't know, five years before I got there and five years after I left um, because somebody had taken some files home over the weekend and then somebody stole their car, which created so much more work for the office in both directions. One, the theft of their vehicle, but then also obviously not having uh, digital copies of a lot of the stuff in the file. So Right, can't imagine. Huge, huge issues. All right, so um, they've got to have some systems in place to 
physically have the work done, but what about in terms of systems, policies, procedures, like do those things have to be there? Or a lot of times are you or the 1099s working with them to develop that right interaction? So by procedures, do you mean like like workflow procedures, things like that? Or what, what are you kind of in the workflow procedures? So I, a lot of the times am, am inserting myself in that process if needed. Um, and a, the number one thing I always get asked by my clients is, well, I have so much work, but I don't really know what I can send their way. And so what I have them do for the first week or while we're trying to find, you know, that paralegal that'll work well for their firm during that time, I'm like, let's not just sit, let's work on setting up this relationship to be perfect. So I tell them, get your legal pad. I know you have one, put it next to your desk. And as you're working throughout your day, write down little things. What are you working on? What are you working on? Petition drafting, this, that, this, that. Okay. So then once they do that, then they send it back to me before we onboard that new paralegal, before we even get them into their systems. And we start looking at their case management systems based upon the tasks that they were already working on. We see if we can add in task uh, workflows. So a lot of the like probates in certain states, family law, anything that's very predictable, which all cases we know have stages of, of litigation as stages, et cetera. But anything that's very predictable, we start doing workflows and we say, okay, this is where your, where your paralegal is going to come in and support you. This is where your, your legal admin might come in and work and support you. So we set that all up and we create this workflow of how it's going to get delegated down the line or up the line, however way you want to look at it. And so, you know, Clio is a great one for this. I'm not a Clio salesperson by any means, but I really do actually love Clio for the workflows, the task lists, et cetera, things that you can do for each case. And we get those in, we add in the, the virtual paralegal to the system so they can go in and they can check their tasks and they know every stage of the case, this is where I come in. I do have some clients that just want them to come in and operate like their paralegal. So get in on the heart of every single case, just keep it moving forward, keep the needle moving down the line, et cetera, like just keep it going. And tell the, that paralegal ends up having to tell the lawyer when it's their turn to do tasks. So it just depends on the firm, the firm's dynamics, how many assistants do they have in-house, how many lawyers do they have in-house. I tend to work with small firms or solos primarily. I like working with my solos, but we'll work into like the five five lawyer setting and really trying to just figure out because now they have the option to add in that supplemental work on their on their terms how many hours they feel they need for that week we can really start manipulating who's going to go into their zone of genius and what zone of genius it's going to be so right now i have one client that has a paralegal of mine, two paralegals of mine, and then also a legal virtual assistant who handles all the CRM. Clients are calling, um, you know, outside counsel's calling, all of that, they handle all of, all of that background process. Then we have two paralegals, one handles all the trust admin, everything of that nature, working with the clients, getting all the documents they need, filling out the forms. And then I have one paralegal that does all the conservatorship. So we keep everybody in their zone of genius with this firm because she does handle all of her um, employees are remote now. We keep everybody in their zone of genius and we do have to set up some sort of process and system. So there's expectations. Um, and again, a lot of it is leveraging your case management system and, and having that in place and making sure you're not delegating, never, ever delegate by email, never send documents by email if you can avoid it, get everything into a system so we can all access it at any point in the case. I can go out tomorrow and get hit by a car and be in the hospital for three weeks unaccessible and you can still figure out where I was at at every stage of the case. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. The uh... God forbid that part happens, but in terms of the, you know, right. having everything organized to avoid not even those things, but like the 
kid gets sick and somebody can't come in or they've got to run out to a doctor's appointment and come in late and then everybody else is waiting you know two or three hours because they had the file or whatever it is it's, just, it's crazy to see those things um yeah and then i love the concept of like that little bit of business consulting to kind of put all this together in the most efficient manner or effective manner for the firms mm -hmm. that really seems to add a lot of benefit yeah it has to be there it's it's not enough and that's why i liked what i was doing as a that's why I appreciate my trade as a paralegal and being an office manager and hiring people and training legal secretaries coming on. They've never touched a law firm in their life and being in that part of the firm and really managing it. It's not enough to just say, here's a virtual paralegal, have fun with them. It's really making sure that for that relationship to work and be successful, you really have to make sure that that firm is at optimal efficiency and an optimal processes, procedures, everything in place. And I think that sometimes people hear that law firm owners, business owners hear that and they say, well, this sounds like too much work. I'm just forget it. <laughs> forget it. Avoiding it is also hurting your business with or without that virtual assistant in place. So you need to, you know, like, let's rip the bandaid off. Let's, let's tend to the wound. Let's do it now. And you might as well do it. You know, I do it for free all the time. <laughs> let's just fix your firm to make sure that this setup is going to work great because it's it's such a it's such a benefit for law firms to utilize and leverage virtual work 1099 work why shy away from it just because your systems aren't in place which in turn is also creating an inefficiency uh, law firm and cutting into your profits and cutting into your return on investments and cutting into why even market if you can't create optimal profitability from that effort yeah, I just, you know, it's one of those things like, oh, it's going to take me too long to train them and figure out what needs to go and create the system. And it's like, yes, you can feel that way and it will always be right in the moment. But the options are like you suck it up for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and then you don't have to do it again. Or you sit here in 20 years thinking, man, it's still going to take me too long to come up with all of these policy procedure training etc so exactly um, yeah, a big thing i have my clients do as well is that they have really complex case management systems sometimes sometimes i think there's this fine line between it being a great case management system and too great where it takes 40 60 hours just to train somebody on how to access their case files that's a lot a lot of training so whatever system they have i say when you're first onboarding this virtual paralegal anybody for that nature Record it on Zoom and create training videos because then you're killing two birds with one stone. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. And I always like you do the recording and then you get it, you know, transcribed through otter.ai or rev or whatever. And then you have them edit the transcript to make sense and put it into the written policy and procedure. And so that way you've got kind of both ends aware of what's going on with the process. Absolutely. That's a great, great approach. So as we get towards the end here, anything else to add? Anything I missed? Anything you want to make sure that we cover? Um, no, I think that that's everything. I, I think that it's important to just understand the place that a 1099 has in a law firm and, and really hone in on that, um, being that that's what I do for, that's the bread and butter of my business is the 1099. That's where I started. That's how I transitioned my career and built my business around it, is to really understand, I think law firms need to know it's not a all or nothing with staffing. It's we are so developed in the times of technology that to think that it's an all or nothing is a limiting belief that's going to block your firm from growth. So if you understand that you can do incremental, my principle in everything that I do is we cannot grow what we cannot sustain. So if you feel that 
you cannot grow a law firm right now, or you can, you have to grow your law firm before you can get staff. And, and then you get into this catch 22 where, well, you can't really grow it without the staff because you're one person and you only have so many hours in a week and your family life is suffering or your personal life is suffering by any means to understand that sustainable growth is incremental. It doesn't have to be okay, I want to have millions in profits, so I need to start staffing like I have millions in profits. You can start from ground zero and slowly sustain that growth until you reach those millions in profits and then continue to. It's an ever-evolving process of up the stairs, sustain, up the stairs, sustain. And that's really what I want law firms to understand is that they don't need to feel gone are the days where you need to feel like I have to have a full-time butt in the seat in order to develop my business makes perfect sense. All right. So for anybody watching, as we get towards the end, our um, next episode will air on Thursday. Bradley Miller is going to be on. Bradley is going to talk to us about the modern lawyer, how to be adaptable, client focused and forward thinking. So that will be Thursday, 1.30 Eastern time. Uh, and then, you know, goes back from there along your time zone. So, but before I let you go, Jacqueline, I got to ask the, the last, the big piece of wisdom, the diamond nugget. If somebody's been listening for the last 35 minutes, they remember nothing that you said. They take nothing away except what you're going to share here. It could be something you've already gone over. It could be something totally different. But what is your advice on how somebody else can become the exhibit A of a successful attorney? I think I'll go to my favorite quote that I kind of stole from somebody, but I can't remember who said it. So now I'm kind of claiming it sort of as mine. <laughs> there we go. It's And it's something that I hold near and dear to my heart as a business owner that I did myself is that you don't have to accept the situation in which you first find yourself in any way. So you're a lawyer, you are working 80 hour weeks, you're working through Easter weekend, you're working through Christmas, you're working on New Year's Day. You don't have to accept that situation as the forever situation. You can take action little by little, lean into people, experts, marketing experts, staffing experts, process and procedure experts, et cetera, to continue to get yourself out of that situation and create your ideal law firm, create your ideal career, create something that is going to become a legacy to leave behind is that you don't have to accept it. There are so many resources in this world, in this country alone, there are so many resources to tap into and access to be able to pull you out of what you don't want your career to look like. So, so many lawyers, I think it's stuck in that this is practicing law. We see huge burnout rates. We see huge mental health issues because of it. I firsthand have seen it working very closely with solo attorneys, watching them burn out, not take home paychecks, struggle with all of it and wonder why did I even go to law school? You don't have to accept that as your reality. There are people here to help you. There are people here to consult with you, incrementally get you out of that that way and create truthfully what you want. Somebody told me once when I really early on in my business started to feel like I was drowning in it. I was drowning in work. It was very successful overnight. And I remember wondering like, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to create this business, of course, to provide solutions, but I didn't create this business to have less time with my family, to have less freedom, to have less, you know, peace of mind, enjoy life. And that one person said to me, well, it's your business. Make it do what you want it to do. It's yours. You're in control. So always remember that, that there's always a solution. There's something you can do every single day to move the ball down the field 
and inch your way towards exactly what you want that business to look like. See, I'm a big, I don't know if this is echoing what you're saying or the opposite or the other side of the coin, but I'm a big, like what got you here won't necessarily get you there, right. which is basically the same, sort of the same concept. I think maybe, maybe one's the optimistic view, one's the pessimistic view. I don't know. <laughs> But it, so, you know, you've got that firm, that attorney that may be sitting here really happy with the, you know, 250 a year they're generating, but that won't get them to the 500,000 level mark because they, they need to add, they need to bring on more staff. They need to hire somebody else. They need to add some of those things. And so I, uh, I'm with you. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of Successful Attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.